Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and you're listening to The Unchangeable Truth. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen's sermon out of John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51, and it's titled, Real Men Follow Jesus. If you have your Bibles this morning, open them up. John chapter 1. This is the seventh sermon in our study of the book of John. It's entitled, Life in His Name. When it's all said and done, we'll have about 90, 90, 90 sermons through the book of John. We will finish John, I don't know, the fall of 2024. So, if your doctor has said your triglycerides are real high and your cholesterol's out of the roof and they don't give you much hope, You may not see the end of our study of the book of John, but we'll see you on the other side. And you won't be worried about what's going on down here with our study of the Word, because the living Word will be right in front of you. Today we're going to talk about real men. Real men seek Jesus. Now I know, I know that the very phrase real man or real men opens up to all kinds of stuff. It seems like ever since we've been around, people have been trying to define what is a real man. Uh, I was raised in the 70s and the 80s, and I can remember in the late 80s, I think there was a book that was written, and some of you guys may may have saw this, and the title of the book was Real Men Don't Eat Quiche. And some of you may still have that book at your house. I don't know. Now, where I was raised, I didn't know what quiche was. And then since then, I've been able to have some quiche. And the reality is, it's pretty good if you've got some bacon and cheese in it. Of course, that's true of anything in life, isn't it? I ran across this this week, and uh, you might find it interesting. I found it funny. You may not find it funny, but that shows more about your humor than it does mine. Um, Ways to know if you're a real man from the panhandle of Florida. I will tell you, there were ten, but one I didn't feel comfortable saying, so I made it nine. Ways to know if you're a real man from the panhandle of Florida. Number one, you still say yes ma'am and no ma'am to the ladies. Ladies, that'd be a great time to say amen right there. Okay, there you go. I know that's not really spiritual, but anyway, there we go. Number two. You think tea without ice is a foreign conspiracy. (laughs) Number three, you eat pecan pie, not pecan pie. (laughs) Number four, (laughs) the the only part of the Bill of Rights you can quote is the Second Amendment. (laughs) That's true. That's true. You have some crazy people around here, I should be honest. Man. Oh, they're going to pull this out of context, and they're going to really, they're going to make me look even worse than they already have tried to. Uh, Number five, you laugh when people in other states complain about the humidity. Number six, you have at least two pairs of flip-flops in your closet, one pair to mow the yard and go to the store, and another pair to wear to church, weddings, and funerals. (laughs) That is true. Y'all know that is true. Number seven, how to, how to know if you're a real man for the Panhandle of Florida. You, know, you literally know someone who has seen Bigfoot. <laughs> All those documentaries are like in the Panhandle of Florida. 
Well, he was hanging out over there behind that tree, you know. And I smelt that skunk ache long before I saw it. Um, number eight, you refer to any soft drink as a Coke and you never call it a pop. And then number nine, how to tell you're a real man from the Panhandle, Florida. You know how to pronounce Apalachicola, Sop, Choppy, and Weewahitchka. <laughs> and then number 10, I'm j- I just don't feel comfortable saying it out loud, okay? The reason why I talk about that today is because we're going to look at four real men. And I've studied Jesus, you know, the life and the ministry of Jesus for, I mean, I've been doing this ministry thing for over 30 years, and I'm convinced that Jesus was a man's man. He's not some kind of wimp that they would lead you to believe. I mean, stop and think about this. He worked his entire life as a carpenter. I believe Jesus had dirt under his fingernails and calluses on his hands. A man's man. I mean, how in the world? Notice, he went into the temple and he cleared out the merchants and the money changers and nobody did a thing about it. I want us to look this morning at the group of men that became a part of his team. There are four of them that we'll look at in this passage. And we'll finish chapter 1 today. Look there with me. John chapter 1, verse 35. We won't read the whole text. We'll just kind of make our way down through it, okay? John 1, 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. Now, John here is John the baptizer. John the Baptist, right? That's who he is. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned, and seeking, seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and, and followed him was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. He, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Let's stop right there. Now, let's remember the setting of the scripture that we are studying, and it's the same setting that we were a part of last week. It's the Judean wilderness. And John the baptizer is out preaching in the Judean wilderness, and he is baptizing. Am I the only one that has noticed that John's sermon this week is exactly the same sermon from last week? It's like he didn't do any study this week. I don't know what he did with all of his time. He doesn't even throw in a new wrinkle. He doesn't even throw in a new illustration or any of those things. I mean, if, if, if he would have had some of you in the audience that day and, and you had your Bible open like you do this Sunday, this preacher, he preached this, you would have said, oh my goodness. It's exactly the same. Can you, it's the same sermon that he preached last week. Word For word, behold the Lamb of God. That's what he said last week, behold the Lamb of God. And look at me, church. It is the only message that we have. 
Now, it's not that the gospel doesn't speak on social issues. It's not that the gospel doesn't speak on political issues. But the energizing center of the church is, behold, the Lamb of God. If that's not it, then the, then the church has no center. It is the gospel. And it has implications. It's never anything besides the gospel. A church that is focused on good works without the gospel is, is, is a church that is without the power of the Holy Spirit. We have one message, and that message is this, Christ and him crucified. That is who we are. That is what we proclaim. That is what we are built upon. That is, that is the center focus of all that we do. Behold the Lamb of God. Now, it might be helpful for us to understand that what is happening here in John's ministry is, you know, John the baptizer is there and he is preaching. And then all of a sudden, God starts moving. Revival literally has broken out here. You could read it in the pages of the other Gospels, but when you read it piece by piece, you kind of miss the emphasis or the significance of what is taking place. And so John the baptizer actually starts preaching outside the town. And the Holy Spirit of God starts moving. And then all of a sudden people start coming to hear him preach. And then all of a sudden people start repenting. And people are baptized. And they're turning from their own sins. Do you see what we're reading here? This is old school revival that is taking place. And then if you take the time to read John's sermons, I mean, they're very old school. They go something like this. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Tell me if that's not old school. He doesn't have any cool little video illustrations. He doesn't have the lyrics of a song with smoke rising from the words. Now, I will tell you that I have lobbied on behalf of those of us that when we see dripping water on the screens, that automatically says something to our mind and the rest of our body. So I'm like, no more dripping water when we have to sing because everybody is leaving the room. John didn't have any of that. John's just here, and he's out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, there are folks that are like, when is he going to cut his hair? When's he going to shave his beard? Can he not get a better coat than that camel skin, that camel-haired coat that he's wearing? It's stinking by now. And oh my goodness, I saw what he had for lunch. Are you kidding me? He's out there, and he's just hauling off, and he's preaching, Behold the Lamb of God. And they're flocking to him. Repent. You can read. He starts talking some stuff about some vipers. And talks about producing fruit and keeping with repentance. And those are just his sermons. I mean, you, you would say, oh my goodness, he couldn't even pass a, a, a proclamation class at seminary because they really didn't have an outline here. Nothing is happening and, and it's resonating with the people because the people are like, I want to repent. I want to turn. I want to be baptized. And they're following John. They're following John. And the revival has gotten so big that there are some people of influence they are like, 
we need to go out there and see what's going on. We've heard about what's happening out in the middle of the wilderness. Send a delegation out there just to see what is taking place and to just to check it out. And so John, with one message, keeps preaching the very same sermon, service after service after service. Behold the Lamb of God, and more come out. And then he's like, hey, 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 behold the Lamb of God. And he, and he starts doing it in all these different sort of familiar, exactly the same ways. Hey, there's one coming. I'm not worthy to tie, untie his shoes. Behold the Lamb of God. And they, they come out. There's one coming that I'm not even worthy to even be near him. Behold the Lamb of God. And they keep coming out. There's one coming that he's older than I am, yet I was born before him. Behold the Lamb of God. And they keep coming out. Out. It's the only message he has. And so what we see happening here in this text on this day is that John the Baptist, the baptizer, has brought two of his disciples with him. Jesus walks by, as John's custom, behold the Lamb of God. Here he is at it again. He proclaims the word of God. These brothers hear it. These brothers understand it. And they follow Jesus. Now, we don't know where they went. We, we, uh, we don't know where these two followed Jesus. We don't know where they spent the rest of the day with him. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall to hear what he told them? We don't know. It doesn't record it here in the passage of Scripture. All we know is that after Andrew followed Jesus, he's like, i got to go tell my brother. I've got to go tell Simon about what I've seen, what I've heard. So with that being said, the first real man that I want us to look at today is Andrew. And we're going to see, we just read it, that Jesus asked Andrew this question, what are you looking for? Every Jew in Israel was looking for the same one. They were looking for the Messiah. And here is Andrew, and Andrew saw that Jesus was the one. I can picture Andrew as being outgoing, energetic. I can also picture Andrew as being this enthusiastic witness. Because do you know what you always see when it comes to Andrew? Every time you read of him, everywhere he goes, he's always bringing people to Jesus. He's so excited when he found out about the Messiah that he's like, i got to go tell my brother, Simon. And he brought him to Jesus. I mean, matter of fact, Andrew's the one who brought the little boy with the fish and the loaves to Jesus when the multitudes were fed. Do you know what? We never read that Andrew preached a sermon. He just brought people to Jesus. What a model that is for us. That I would say here today that if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, right, you have a relationship with him, then I'm going to challenge you to join me and be a part of a new effort that we're calling Operation Andrew. No, we're really not, but we should. Go and bring somebody to Jesus. Well, I don't have much to offer the Lord. You can bring somebody to him. I can't preach a sermon. You can bring somebody to him. I can't sing a song. You can bring somebody to him. I can't teach a life group. You can bring somebody to him. I don't have much to offer God at all. Oh, you can bring somebody to Jesus if you know him. 
That's what we see with Andrew. He's consistently bringing people to Jesus. Now, Jesus asked him a question there in verse 38. What are you looking for? Do you notice this? Andrew doesn't answer it. But after he spent a few hours with Jesus, he went running to Simon Peter, his brother, and he said, I found him. I found him. I found who we've been looking for. I found the Messiah. He found what he was looking for. So I want you to put that in your own life. Ask the question, have you? I don't know what you're looking for, but have you found it? Jesus is saying the very same thing that he asked Andrew to you and to me. Have you found what you're looking for? What are you looking for? I think it's interesting to note. That's the very first statement recorded out of the very mouth of Jesus in the book of John. The searching question, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? What are you hoping for? I'll just stop and say this. The Bible says that you and I, when we were created, according to the book of Ecclesiastes, that we have eternity in our souls. That there is this this hole inside our heart that can only be filled with a relationship with God, which can only come about through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what happens is, guys, is there are folks that are like, boy, they they don't really approach it as I'm going to fill that empty hole in my heart. But here's what they do. They say, man, I sure would like to have joy. I sure would like to have peace. I sure would like to have purpose. And so what happens is they go looking everywhere to fill a hole in their heart that can only be filled by being in relationship with Jesus Christ. And so they'll go and they'll try to fill it through relationships of their own. They'll go and try to fill it with their career or money or hobbies or fame. You name it, they've tried everything in the world. Personal pleasure, whatever it may be, they try to fill that hole with that. And what will happen is for a little while the hole will be filled. But then all of a sudden the hole is not filled and they're like it seems as though it's more empty than it was before. What are you looking for today? What are you looking for? Reminds me of the story I heard of a guitarist who was sitting down playing the same note over and over and over. And somebody walked up to him and said, hey, listen, why don't you move your fingers and why don't you play more notes? And here's what he said. He said, all the others are searching for the right note I've found. Like Andrew, I can say that. I found what I'm looking for. Jesus Christ. What are you looking for today? Andrew would say this, the one we've longed for, the one that we've prayed for, the hope that we've wished for, I found in Jesus. Look at verse 42. He says in 42, and he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. 
So we have Andrew. Andrew, Jesus said, what are you looking for? And now we have Simon Peter. And here's what he says. Jesus says to Simon Peter, you will be changed. Now his real name was Simon, son of John. We would say Simon Johnson. But when Jesus met him, he gave him a nickname. I'm going to call you Rocky. When you look through the gospel accounts and you compare all the statements that Simon Peter makes, he was always saying the wrong thing. Simon Peter would contradict himself time and time again, and he would do it enthusiastically. We would say he's so wishy-washy, back and forth, back and forth. Some would say this, that the only time that Simon Peter opened up his mouth was to change feet. He made boast that he could do things that other people could not do. And these were boasts that he couldn't keep. Fast forward three years from this time, from when he met Jesus. It's the night before the crucifixion. Jesus is there, he's talking to his disciples, and he says, you know what? Before it's all said and done, you'll all forsake me, you'll all leave me. Simon Peter spoke up and said, no, Lord, if they all do, I won't. I can promise you, they may fail you, but not me. I'm Petros, right? I'm Rocky. You remember who I am? And then that night, Jesus said, you know what? Before the rooster crows in the morning, you'll deny me three times. Many of you know what happened that night. Simon listened to the accusations of the servants in the courtyard of the high priest. The first one, they said, you were with him. And Simon Peter said, no, 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 I wasn't there. And then there was a second servant girl that comes, and the Bible says that she says, yeah, 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 I can tell by the way that you talk. You're one of those redneck country boys from Galilee. You're one of them. And again, Simon said, no, I'm telling the truth here. I don't know the man. I wasn't with the man. Then a teenage servant girl, the Bible says, comes along, and she says, I am absolutely certain you are one of his disciples. And the Bible says that Peter cursed That Rocky said, may I be blankety blank cursed if that's true, I do not know him. Then wait for it. Cock-a-doodle-doo. And Simon Peter was cock-a-doodle done. In his first encounter, he wasn't exactly sure who Jesus Christ was. He wasn't convinced like his brother Andrew that Jesus indeed was the Messiah. So we asked the question, what convinced him? What made him change his mind? You continue reading the gospel accounts, you will actually learn that it took several months of miracles, several months of messages for Peter to become convinced. Again, different from his brother Andrew, who actually believed after just a short time. We have people that are here today that are just like Andrew. You heard the gospel of Jesus Christ the first time, and you responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ the first time. You were confronted with your own sin, and you knew that you needed a Savior the very first few times that you heard it, and you turned to Christ. And then there are others of you here today that are like Peter. You've heard the message, but you're like, I'm just not ready to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. What would you recommend I do? First of all, I would recommend turn to him today. Salvation is today. But I would also say this, just keep watching. 
Just keep listening to what Jesus is doing. And I believe that you'll come to that same point of belief. When Jesus first met Simon, he, he, he saw that he could become a rock. It took a long time for the listener to become a leader, but eventually it happened. And that cowardly fisherman church who denied Jesus three times, he would end up becoming a courageous preacher on the day of Pentecost who stood up and he boldly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was that rock who stood before the Jewish Sanhedrin that had condemned Jesus, and he said, you killed the Son of God. And after they beat Simon Peter, they commanded him and they said, you will never again speak the name of Jesus Christ. And it was Simon Peter who said, we're going to obey God rather than obey men. And like a rock, he went and he preached to tens of thousands of people until tradition says that eventually they arrested him in Rome. The church historian Eusebius, he said that they came to John and they said, we're going to put you, to, or they came to Simon Peter and they said, we're going to put you to death because you won't quit preaching Jesus. Simon Peter said this, I know you crucify folks. I'm not worthy to be, to be slain in the same manner as my Lord. And his request was, crucify me upside down. The rock, Simon Peter. And so here's Jesus, and we've just seen the encounter. Jesus is looking at Simon, and Simon's like, I just don't know. I don't, I don't really know that that's who he is. I, just, I, I really wish I could believe you, Andrew. I'm just not real sure. And Jesus saw through all that. It wasn't later that Jesus said, oh, by the way, I've been watching you. I've been noticing how your faith's been growing. I've been noticing how you've been doing things. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead now and change your name. It doesn't happen like that. Notice right here at the very beginning, he says, you're going to be rocky. You're going to be Peter. You know what that means? Jesus sees not where you are. He sees where you can be. He sees your spiritual potential. There are some of you today, you're like, you know, man, golly, I've made a mess of my life and you know, I, I've just recently come to Christ, but, you know, I, I, I've made so many failures in my life. There's no way that he could use me to do anything. I, I can't say the right words. I don't know the Bible like everybody else knows the Bible. And, you know, I don't think I could ever preach or I could ever do anything along those lines. But I tell you what, you have one that specializes in saying, I know others would say you're not much, but let me speak into your life. I'll call you rock. I'll use you to do things that will even shock yourself. Instead, I'm just looking for one that says, here I am, Lord. Take me, use me, make me, mold me. Do something so radical through my life that I could never get credit for. And that's what he wants to do for you. Don't sit there and believe the evil one when the evil one comes along and whispers in your ear. Have you ever noticed he does that? You'll never be the kind of husband that you need to be. You'll never be the kind of wife that you need to be. You'll never be that godly parent that you're supposed to be. You'll never be that godly teenager that you're supposed to be. 
God could never use you to do anything because of where you've been that the devil will even sit there and he will whisper to you, you know who the real you is. And yet Jesus says, hey, hey, Satan, they don't belong to you. They belong to me. You have no control over their future. They're not fighting against you. I've already taken care of that. I'm the one that declares their future. I'm the one that does the miraculous through their life. I'm moving and I'm working and I'm wanting them by faith to just sit there and say, you know what, Lord? If it depends upon me, it's not gonna be. But if it depends upon you, I think you'll see it through. You'll do whatever you want to do. Do it through me. Give him praise this morning for the fact that he doesn't give up on you. Man, I'm telling you, he's not looking for folks that are out there saying, look at me, look at what I can be. No, you may not have many abilities to serve God. You may not have many skills to serve God, but he'll shape you and he'll mold you into whatever he calls you to do. Look at verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So Philip, Andrew, Peter, all from the same hometown. Philip found Nathanael and he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Poor Nathaniel, he, he, he's known for saying that his entire, not only his entire life, but forever. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. So now we have Philip. What did Jesus say to Philip? Follow me. Follow me. Now this is kind of interesting. Andrew sought out Jesus. Simon sought out Jesus. Jesus traveled all the way from Judea back to Galilee searching for Philip. Philip, again, living there in the same town as Andrew and Peter. This is the same Philip that when a huge crowd gathered over in John chapter 6 and they were all hungry and Jesus asked Philip, what can we get to feed all these people, man? They're really, really hungry. And without missing a beat, Philip is the very one who gave him an answer. Lord, it'd take over 200 denarii to feed all these people. For you and I, it'd be like this. Lord, it'd take almost $10,000 to feed all these people. Philip was a thinker. He was quick on his feet. He could look at a hungry crowd and calculate the cost of feeding them all. But it took a long time for this thinker to really figure out who Jesus was. Look in verse 45. He says, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and also so did the prophets. Jesus, don't miss this, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now, from what he told Nathaniel, we know that Philip's faith was incomplete. He didn't yet fully understand just exactly who Jesus really is. He saw Jesus as the fulfillment of Moses' prediction, what? That a great prophet would come. Here's the great prophet. But notice, notice what Philip calls Jesus. 
Jesus, the son of Joseph. You and I know he's the son of God. And so here's Philip, this intellectual mind, this great thinker. You got Andrew, and Andrew's like, man, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I heard, I saw. Man, he is the one, he is the one. You got Simon Peter that's a little rough around the edges and, you know, probably thinking way too much. It's kind of like baseball when you think you stink. Somebody should have given that T-shirt to Simon Peter. And, and he struggled. It took a long time. And then you got Philip, and Philip's going to examine every single thing, and it took a long time for him to come to the understanding of the identity of Jesus as God. We're going to get over to John chapter 14. Jesus is talking about his father. Philip is the one in John 14 that says, Lord, if you would just show us the father, that'd be enough. Show us the Father and we'll all believe. And Jesus said, Philip, are you serious? This is my paraphrase. Are you serious? I've been with you all this time and you've not been able to figure it out in that brilliant mind of yours? Do you not get it? When you see me, you see the Father. It took Philip a while, but he finally got it. He finally followed him. Do you see the difference in all these three men that we've mentioned so far? See, see, maybe you're here today and you're like, well, he's only looking for one particular kind. He's only looking for those who've got it all together. Let's just stop right now and I'll pretend as though I'm in a court of law. Exhibit A, look around this room. There's not a one that's got it all together. That's not an indictment on you as much as it's an indictment on me. And so... So, Philip had that introspective kind of thinker who's often overlooked. You and I might call Philip a, a geek today. But Jesus went searching for him. See, I, know, I, know, I think the recruiting motto for the U.S. Marines used to be, we're looking for a few good men. I don't know if it's still that way now. It wouldn't sound politically correct if they'd make that statement, but we're looking for a few good men. A lot of times people think that that's the motto of Christ. I'm looking for a few good people. That's not his motto. He's not sitting there saying, I'm looking for a few good people that are going to come to me. I'm looking for a few good people that might trust me. I'm looking for a few good people that I might can change the world with. What he is saying is, I'm looking for sinners who need a Savior. My goodness. This past Wednesday night. If you don't come on Wednesday nights, you're missing out. You're literally, we're studying the last days. I know some of you guys, you have other responsibilities, work and various things like that. I get that. But if you're just sitting down watching TV at home or you're on the back porch counting bullfrogs, whatever the case is, you'd be better off to come down here, get you a good home-cooked meal, and then come in here and study the God, God's Word. We're doing a series called Last Days. And Wednesday night, the Spirit of God fell on this place. I couldn't even leave here for folks coming out to the Welcome Center, giving their life to Jesus Christ. And there was something said out there that is not uncommon that I hear from time and time again. And it goes like this. There's just some things I need to get right in my life before I come to Jesus. Well, if you could get it right, you'd have no need for Jesus. 
If you could fix yourself, what a terrible tragedy that this crazy-minded God has done on his very son that he would give his life when you and I could fix the brokenness that we have. No, it's, it's, it's not about you and I fixing our brokenness. It's about you and I coming to the point where we realize, first of all, I am broken. And I'm never going to be able to live a life that's good enough to where God's going to sit there in heaven and say, forget that Jesus thing. I've watched you. You're good on your own. And so the devil comes along, and the devil loves to kind of paralyze us by saying, there's some things in your life you've got to get right before you come to Christ. Christ never says that. Christ says, hey, I know exactly who you are. Come to me just as you are. And he chooses all kinds. I love the variety of the kingdom of God. Jesus told us that God's like a shepherd who had 100 sheep and that one lamb wandered off into the wilderness. And Jesus said, the shepherd left the 99 in the sheepfold and he went searching for what? That one lost lamb. And when he found him, he, he very safely carried him in his arms back to the flock. And Jesus says, that's exactly what God is like. And that's the way God views you. I mean, you may be here today and you may think, you know what, I made the decision to come here today. I'm here because somebody invited me. I'm here because uh, it's what I do. I'm here because, I, I don't know, you know, the coffee's great out there. It's pretty cheap. I don't know why you're here. But I can tell you this, God is searching and seeking you. There's no such thing as a snapshot of the kind of person that God seeks. He seeks the one who has made a royal mess of their lives. He seeks the one that would finally admit that even though you've done a pretty good job making it looked like on the outside you've got it all together. At night when you lay your head on your pillow, you can't go to sleep because you know the reality of just how broken your life is. He's like, yeah, I died for that one. Yeah, I'll save that one. I'll change that one. It could be that we would even have to change your name because nobody would believe what God has done. There could be 2,000 people here today who already know the Lord, but if you don't yet know the Lord, he is searching just for you. And I pray that you'll feel the arms of the Holy Spirit embracing you, bringing you home to your Father. So we have Andrew. What are you looking for? We have Simon Peter. Simon Peter, you're going to be changed so much, we got to change your name. Philip, Philip, intellectual Philip, follow me. And then here's the fourth one. Look in verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, By the way, can I just stop and say this? That verse right there is a great indication. There are people who believe Jesus didn't have a sense of humor. How could you read that and not believe he had a sense of humor? I don't think we portray it correctly. I think Jesus was doing a lot more laughing than we want to give him credit for. Behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, well, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, 
You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you now believe? Oh, you'll see greater things than these. Mm, understatement of the world. And he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So here is Nathaniel, and here's exactly what Jesus has said to him. You will see greater things than these. The very first question that Nathaniel asked when he heard about Jesus of Nazareth is this. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He was from Cana. At that day and time, Cana was a much bigger city. It was a, it was a key, bustling trade port. And then here we have Nazareth at the time, a small little sleepy village. And it's exactly the opposite today. Today, Nazareth is the huge city and Cana is a tiny village. But it was just the opposite. So Nathaniel was astonished. He's like, for real? The Messiah came out of Nazareth? That little, small, little, stinky town, Nazareth? Nathaniel was honest. Nathaniel was a straight shooter. And when Jesus met him, Jesus made an amazing observation here. Look at what Jesus said. He said, here is an Israelite in whom there is no guile or deceit. And he was smiling when he said it. This is a play on words. He was talking about Jewish forefather, Jacob. What does Jacob's name mean? It means grabber. It means deceiver. That God did such a work in his life that God renamed him. What did he rename him? Israel. And so Jesus is seeing all this honesty in Nathaniel that he said, Wow! I can't believe it. A Jew without any deceit in them. Wow, a, a Jew without any Jacob in him. And then Nathaniel was astonished. And he's like, I've never met you before. How can a stranger know what you know about me? And so he asked, how do you know me? And what did Jesus say? I saw you. I saw you sitting over there under the fig tree. Now, we don't know whether that was a vision. We don't know if Jesus actually saw him. I'm just saying whatever occurred, it was miraculous. And you can see that from the very response of Nathaniel. Here's what I take it to mean. Jesus didn't just see him. He really saw him. He really saw the real him. Jesus saw his character. Jesus saw through all the outward, and Jesus saw his heart. Jesus saw the real man. See, you and I have lived lives to where we spend so much time trying to have the appearance on the outside that we've got it all together. And yet here's Jesus, and he's like, oh, no, I know the real you. I can see through it all. I can see into your heart. I can see into your soul. I know your motivation. I know what it is that you, 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 you know, keeps you from sleeping at night. I know the fears that are there in your soul. And so Jesus really sees him. And notice what Nathaniel confessed in verse 49. You are the son of God. The king, that's the boldest confession we've had so far. You are the king of Israel. 
Notice, he's not saying you're the Messiah. He is not saying that you are a prophet. He's not saying you're the son of Joseph. He is saying you are the son of God. He makes a declaration. You are the king of Israel. He was so amazed. Jesus, you know me so well. You don't even, I've never met you. I've never spoken to you. You must be, you really are the son of God. And so Jesus saw Nathanael. Jesus knew Nathanael's name. Jesus knew his heart. But notice what Jesus said to Nathanael in verse 51. Nathanael, you've not seen anything just yet. Just wait. Most assuredly, I say unto you, you will see heaven open, the angels of God descending and ascending on the Son of Man. I preach out of a New King James Version Bible that it uses the phrase there, most assuredly. Like many of you, I cut my teeth on a King James Version. And you're familiar with the phrase, verily, verily, I say unto you. Here's what that means. Amen and amen, I say to you. Whenever Jesus was getting ready to make a profound statement, he would say, amen, amen, I say unto you. 25 times that statement occurs in the book of John. This is the first time. Amen, amen, I'm getting ready to say something to you. You're not going to believe it. You're going to see greater things. Here's the best way I know how to explain this. Some of you guys, some of you guys, you ever have somebody, they, they send you a message or they send you a, a little video or maybe they send you something on Facebook or some kind of social media. Can I, and by the way, I, I try to periodically remind you guys of this. When you have requested me as your friend and I accept that, that means I see everything that you post on social media. You're like, I don't care, but I do. Okay, so either unfriend me, well, we'll talk about that another day. You ever have somebody send something to you and they're like this, watch it all the way to the end. You're not going to believe this. You know, at first, you know, it's just somebody skiing and they're doing some pretty cool things. You're like, wow, wow, they're a really good skier. They're a really good skier. And, and, you know, and the temptation is I'll turn it off because I've seen this. And they're like, no, 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 you got to wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. And then all of a sudden, you know, one leg shoots off 90 miles, you know, and you're just like, oh, my gosh, look at that. You're not going to believe this. You're not, wait for it, wait for it, watch it. You've never seen anything like this before. That is exactly what Christ is saying here. You have never seen or nor you understand what is going to take place. Pay extra close attention, right? I'm about to say something that is supernaturally true. Amen, amen, verily, verily, I say unto you. And so what did he mean? He says there that he would see heaven open and angels descending and ascending on him. He's talking about Genesis 28. Jacob is there. Jacob is having a dream. And in that dream, there's a stairway, right, that leads to heaven. And there are angels that are descending down that staircase. And there are angels that are ascending up that staircase that is going, they're going to and from heaven to earth. And some of you are like, oh my goodness. I thought Led Zeppelin wrote that. I didn't know that. That was a biblical story. You 
hard rockers from the 70s. And I know that was before you were redeemed. Most of you were so high, you didn't even know the lyrics of the song. It sounded like Nathaniel, aren't I? Anyway, he makes an amazing claim. He said, unlike Jacob's dream, those angels will not be traveling a stairway from heaven to earth. They'll be descending and ascending on me. Do you see what he's just said? Do you see what he's just said? Jesus has just said, there's not a stairway that leads to heaven. I am the stairway. Now, now that, that, that really excites me because now I go all the way back to Genesis and here is God in Genesis. Here is God through a dream to Jacob and he's already proclaiming what John the baptizer kept preaching service after service after service. Behold the Lamb of God. It's the gospel. It's everything that we do. It's everything that we assess. So Jesus has just said right here, I'm the stairway to heaven. I'm the only access to heaven. No one comes to the Father unless they come by me. And there are folks that are out there and they're trying to use the express elevator of religion or they're trying to glide up to heaven on the escalator of good works. But there's only one way to heaven and it is by heaven's staircase. And that is Jesus Christ. And so I read this, and it kind of encourages me, and I pray that it would encourage you, because what it says to me is that Jesus does not have cookie-cutter Christians. That we don't look the same, we don't, we don't speak the same way, right? We don't have the same likes or backgrounds or dislikes or anything like that. What unites us is there's one that's grabbed hold of our soul. And he's changed our name. And we'll never be the same. And he says, I'm not done with you yet. Watch till the end. It's going to get even better. That encourages me. And you know why else it encourages me? God uses regular men and women that are surrendered to the cause of Christ, that give up their own personal pursuits and take up the cross of Christ, and he uses them to do the miraculous. All four of these guys, different backgrounds, different mentalities, some they believed immediately, others it took them a while to believe, yet through it all, Jesus Christ used them. And so today, here's what he is saying to you and I. Can we close it with this? He is saying this, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Are you looking, for be, be, are you looking to be able to lay your head on your pillow at night and close your eyes and go to sleep and know that if you don't wake up in the morning, you're safe? Oh yeah, you can have that. Behold the Lamb of God. 
Are, are, are you wanting to where you may live this life and you look around and you're like, I've wasted all these years. I don't have anything to show for it. And, you know, the background and the job and all that kind of stuff. I'm on marriage number three or whatever the case may be. And I look around, it seems as though everything that I've been a part of is ended up in failure. Not only my failure, but other people's failures have brought the results of that in my own life. I just don't know how. Behold the Lamb of God. Who says, I know you've made a mess of it. But now I knew that before I brought you here today. I saw you over there underneath that fig tree. We ought to plant some fig trees around here. Use them as illustrations for sermons. I knew everything about you. And I still died for you. And I'm going to change you. Matter of fact, I'm going to change you. No, I'm not going to make you perfect, but I am going to change you. So much that we might want to change your name. Because I'm tired of you being identified with your past. Hmm. I told you I was closing it up. I, I'm, I'm ready to preach another one on that one. Some of you are like, go. Most of you are like, no. Time for us to leave. Aren't we on TV or something? We're running out of time. They'll just turn the TV broadcast off. We keep going. He says, I don't want you to be known by your past. I want you to be known by your future. Because you will see greater things. Behold the Lamb of God. Hey guys, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle. And I want to thank you for listening to this week's issue of the podcast called Unchangeable Truth. Let me encourage you as well, if you get a chance, go check out our website. It's Highland, H-I-L-A-N-D, Park, P-A-R-K, dot org. On that website, you'll learn more about our ministry at Highland Park Baptist Church. You can also listen to some previous sermons which are archived for the previous year. And as well, if you ever find yourself in Panama City in person, come and check us out, worship with us live, at 2611 Highway 231 North. And we would also love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. If you've got any questions regarding your relationship with Him, having faith in Him, or if this podcast has encouraged you, or you have other questions regarding the podcast, feel free, shoot us an email at podcast at highlandpark.org. As always, our prayer is that this podcast would point you to Jesus Christ, would increase your faith, and would help you as you mature daily in your walk with Jesus Christ. God bless.